So today's Torah and tea, I just wanted to, and the Parshish Pinchas, but being in Florida, uh, you feel a little bit closer to the uh, people and the families that are unfortunately still, many of them are not sure what happened to their loved ones, and they, you know, there's no closure over there, and they're uh, still hoping for a miracle, uh, hope beyond hope uh, for a miracle, and uh, one of the um, very uh, moving and touching moments was that the uh, mayor reported that she saw a little girl sitting, a 12-year-old uh, sitting on the uh, mound over there and saying to Helen because she wants to be close to her loved ones. And that's uh, very, uh feel the same way. So, Mitzvah I think tomorrow will... Uh, try to get as close as we can over there and maybe say some Tehillim. Uh, my Mechutin himself, it was like a mixed bag because while we were celebrating a bris and joy of a new uh, family member, but also um, my Mechutin's sister you know, and brother-in-law. You know, they say the Lord give us and the Lord take it away. Yeah. But, uh, you know, even if take it away, it should be done in a... Uh, and a more, uh, you know, easier, and uh, it's uh, mainly, uh, is one thing of those people that perished, or, uh, but uh, the other thing is all the family members that don't know and don't see and don't have the physical uh, connection to their loved ones, I mean, that makes it even so much more difficult. And um, so, uh, like I was saying, this bris, there was a lot of the family members because uh, many of the Felig family live here in uh, in Florida, in this section, and uh, no. so that's their sister and their uh, uh, brother-in-law that is also was one of the people that are still unaccounted for, and oh, they were, God. they lived in that, uh, in that complex, in those, cond- in those condos, and it was sort of therefore a mixed bag, but, you know, uh, we'll go maybe tomorrow and uh, we'll say some to him and we'll... Uh, you know, pray for them and for the families and uh, yeah. hope that they'll find, you know, some healing and uh, and uh, closure. It's like uh, it's like in limbo. People are, you know, in the middle. Don't know exactly. You know the sister's name? Well, what? Yeah, her name, you know is, her name, name is Ita. Her, Ita, is Ita, Ita Bas Miriam. Okay. Ita Bas Miriam. Ita Bas Ita Bas That's her. This is, I don't know the. I don't. Ainsworth. The family's name is Ainsworth. Ita Bas Miriam Ainsworth is the family member. I don't know. He's name. I think he's Svi Yehuda. Ainsworth. I think Svi. I'm gonna I look think. it up. I'm gonna look, look it up. up. Yeah. But. Um, in any Does event. Does family live near Surfside? Does um, family live near that town, Surfside? Yeah, there's, the I mean, near, I mean, they're uh, here is like, you know, we're now maybe 20 minutes away by car. You know, it's not that far. Yeah. Uh, also, Heidi's father came to the Bris. He was, uh, he's, uh, yep. he lives not too far from here I as got well. Pictures. What? He sent me pictures. You he got pictures. The, he sent me pictures. He told me the name. Oh. Uh, so you're all set. He called okay. me when he left at one o'clock. You're ahead of oh the yeah, game. I talked to him today. 
Okay, so okay, so we're to start side. He's a mile. Let's do. Let's continue with the Torah T for the portion of Pinchas as usual. We'll go through a little bit of the Rebbe's lessons, which is based on the Likutei Sichas, Volume Eighteen, the first Sicha for Pinchas. Okay, so actually over here in the Parsha, and we can associate this also to what's going on over here. Uh, we read, um, you know, there was a terrible plague. I mean, here we had a terrible devastation. There was a terrible plague. What happened? What happened was that the people of Moab, Balak, the king of Moab, they hired Bilam to go and curse the Jewish people, they saw that the Jewish people were being victorious in a very unusual way. So they realized and they thought that they must find other ways of being able to conquer the Jewish people. So they turned to the evil Bilam, Bilam HaRasha. He had certain powers that he can curse he knew certain times in which it is uh, possible to curse the Jewish people. So he hired him to go ahead and curse them. But of course we know that Hashem did not allow for that curse to take place. Hashem protected them and matter of fact, Hashem turned all the curses into blessings. And as we had spoken in the past, Hashem made those blessings to be the most profound, the strongest, and very meaningful blessings. So that those are some of the best blessings that we find were actually those curses that were turned to blessings. Um, But then... Before this Bilam, evil Bilam left, and he couldn't succeed to curse them, he gave them another advice. He said, you know, I want to advise you how to get back and get Hashem angry at the Jewish people. He says that if you cause the Jewish people to sin, And God hates promiscuity. So if you can get the Jewish people to sin, then they will on themselves bring about the anger of Hashem, and Hashem will punish them. So that's the way to go. So they had the Moabite women, they had them entice the Jewish men, to have intimacy with them. And that actually, as we read in the Parsha, they first, they entice them, and then they convince them when they were uh, vulnerable. vulnerable and they were into it. They said, you have to worship the idol. And they got the Jewish people not only to have intimacy with them, but they also got them to worship their Avodah That in, 
turn, flared the anger of Hashem. And God brought a plague. And he brought a plague that 24,000 of the Jewish people died until Pinchas stood up, he took the sword, he killed the two, uh, the leader of the tribe and the Midianite woman, and then the plague stopped. And then in the beginning of the Parshish Pinchas, we read how Hashem is rewarding Pinchas for his act of bravery and for stopping this plague. And then the verse says that we're reading today in Pasuk Aleph, after the Torah talks about God's reward to Pinchas, it says, And it was after the plague. What happened after the plague? Then God says to Moshe and to Elazar, Aaron's son, because remember, Aaron has already passed on at this point. So now God is speaking to Moshe and to Aaron's son, Elazar the Kohen, and he tells them. What does he tell them? He tells them to count the Jewish people. So why are the Jewish people all of a sudden being counted over here? Why are they being counted? So Rashi explains over here, I'll just say what Rashi says over here. Rashi says that this can be equated to a shepherd who had wolves enter his herd and they killed some of the cattle. So the shepherd goes and counts to find out how many are left over. The shepherd who had his herd breached by these wolves and they ate and killed some of the sheep, some of the cattle, some of the herd. So after that he goes and he counts to know the leftover. Who, how many leftover? This is the way Rashi explains why the verse is saying, after the plague, Hashem says to Moshe and Elazar ben Aaron Koyim, go ahead and count. Count to see how many is left over after the plague, as we see that 24,000 of them were killed by the plague due to their conduct, so they were, they died, so now he wants to know how many are left over. That's one interpretation. And then Rashi gives another interpretation. Rashi says, another interpretation, why are they being counted now? Because this is coming very close to the end before Moshe Rabbeinu is about to pass away. We're going to be reading in the following sections how Hashem tells to Moshe to go up to the mountain to look over Israel. Hashem tells him again that Moshe, you are not going to enter the land. Moshe Rabbeinu was the faithful shepherd of the Jewish people 
for the entire time since they left Egypt and all through their journeys in the desert. Moshe Rabbeinu was there, their shepherd. When they left Egypt, it says that they left 600,000. Uh, that was the, just the men. But there were 600,000. So that means when they were given over, when they left to Mitzrayim, Moshe got them with a number. This is the amount of people that Moshe Rabbeinu took to the desert. So as he was going out of Egypt, when they went to Mitzrayim, they were given to him with a number. So now, when they, Moshe Rabbeinu is almost about to die and to sort of bring back the sheep that he shepherded, the Jewish people, he has to bring them back with a number too. How many did he get? How many is he giving back? That's the second interpretation of Rashi. How many Jews were left after the plague, Rabbi? Uh, so we go through the numbers, and the numbers are uh, detailed in the parsha as we follow. But we'll leave that for the for the parsha. Matter of fact, the the numbers did not change that much. After all, despite everything else, they didn't change that much. But that's a whole other uh, discussion that has to do. There was different how they counted exactly from when on. There was an extra uh, and all the plagues. So that, that's a different discussion. But right now, we're just saying about the general counting. So, I want you to notice, Rashi says over here, two things. I want to just point out, Rashi says we're talking about a shepherd, and we're talking about wolves. <coughs> a shepherd who was responsible for the herd. And we're talking about wolves that came into the shepherd, into the herd. Let's compare this to a very similar Rashi. And this is the Rashi. Um, it just, this is just the, um, this is the Rashi in the Parsha, in the Parsha of Kisisa. In the parishes of Kisisov, there we talk about the golden calf. The golden calf was made by the Jewish people. That was the great failure after Moses ascended onto the mountain. And he told them that he's going to be back after 40 days. They miscalculated. And before Moshe Rabbeinu returned, they made the golden calf. God was very angry. And over there, too, there was a plague. And Rashi talks over there about a plague as Hashem. And the Pasuk talks about that God plagued the people. There was also a plague over there. So which means that many of the Jewish people, after the sin of the golden calf, that they died over there as well. But over there, Rashi gives a different marshal. Rashi also demonstrates this with an example. Rashi gives an example. And Rashi says, this can be equated, and Hashem says to count them. So he says, this can be equated to a 
sheep or to sheep that were very precious to their owners and a plague fell in them. So here we're talking about a owner, not a shepherd, but an owner who owns sheep and not wolves have entered it, but a plague hit them. After the plague stopped, says the owner, after the sector, he says, I ask of you, I want you to count my sheep again, and I want you to tell me how many left over. Who is the one that wants to know? Who is the one that is asking for an accounting? That's the owner of the sheep. And why is he asking? Just to show that the sheep are very special and dear to him. Why does, Rebbe asks, why does Rashi change from the example of the dear sheep on the master or it's on the shepherd? Why does Rashi change from, in our case, he says a wolf came and attacked the sheep? Over there, Rashi says the plague fell into the sheep. Why does Rashi change that? And the Rebbe gives a very beautiful explanation and insight over here. The Rebbe says there is two perspectives. When there is a herd of sheep and a plague befalls them. There are two perspectives. There is the perspective of the owner and then there is the perspective of the shepherd. A shepherd has been entrusted with a job to take care of the sheep, to make, to tend to them, to make sure that they are well taken care of, that they to their well-being, and to do everything within his power that they are returned back to the master in the same situation as they were given to him. And if he sees that something went wrong, that some of the sheep that he was supposed to take care of did not survive, then he takes it to heart and he takes it a lesson and then he will make sure that from here on he will protect the sheep better. He tries to learn from the mistakes, from the past, from what happened, how to improve and how to make sure to keep on doing the proper job. From the perspective of the shepherd, he doesn't own the sheep. He doesn't, uh, not responsible for the sheep. In, it belongs to the owner. He is responsible for their well-being, to take care of them. And therefore, he must uh, 
learn and see who's left over to go ahead and see what can be done to protect them. Sometimes certain things happen that are beyond your control. You are not able to protect. This is not something that you can do. And this is where there is a difference. A plague is something which comes from Shemayim, that comes from heaven, that comes from Hashem. That's not something that the shepherd will count to know what he can do about it, because there's nothing for him to do about it that's entirely, seemingly up to Hashem. But when there is a wolf that attacks the herd, then, of course, the shepherd can fight it off, he can place them in a place where the wolf can get to them. There's other things that he can do. There's a lesson to be taken, and there's something that he can do to protect them. In our Pesach, the Pesach is trying to explain The Rebbe says that this was Moshe Rabbeinu sort of being hard on himself and he was taking a lesson because what happens over here as Rashi pointed out earlier when this whole uh, festival of the Jewish people intermingling and mm, living and having relationship, intimacy with the Midianite women, Moshe Rabbeinu was stunned. He didn't know what to do, it says. He sort of forgot. Hashem made him forget, but Moshe Rabbeinu blamed himself for not taking a stand. See, he was Pinchas who got up and took a stand. But Moshe Rabbeinu felt that maybe if he took a stand, he blamed himself for not protecting the Jewish people. And therefore, Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, it's the sheep, there's a wolf that came, something I could have done about it, and I didn't do So the master, the the, the shepherd, could do something about it. Because the Jewish people went and had this intimacy with the Midianite women, and they worshipped Avodah which is against Hashem, they defied Hashem to such a degree, especially at the Rebbe quotes from the Rambam, especially to have this relationship with outside of the faith with the Midianite woman, they sort of rejected Hashem. In a sense, Hashem said, okay, you know, listen, you rejected me, I'll leave you to nature, and the plague took place on them. So, but Moshe Rabbeinu 
being a leader of the Jewish people, even if the people were guilty, and Moshe Rabbeinu felt that he can do more, the Parsha is telling us that Moshe Rabbeinu said he took it as a shepherd that came and the wolves are there, and he blamed himself, and he said, well, you know, I could have and should learn a lesson for how to do better. Even though the Jews were bad, they did sins, a Jewish leader like Moshe Rabbeinu, he cares about everybody. He cares even about those people who stray and do things that are bad, and yet he feels responsible for them. And if there is a plague, and if there is something missing over there, he will go ahead and count the leftover to show how much he cares about them and how much they mean to them. In a sense, we all have certain responsibilities, whether a parent's for children, a teacher in a classroom, and just people in their interpersonal relationships. You know, a lot of times we don't feel maybe that we did quite enough for our children. We were given, Hashem gave us, Hashem gave us something that we need to take care of. You know, children are not their parents. They don't own their children. Parents are assigned to take care, to tender to their needs, to protect them, and make sure to the best of their abilities to raise them to be mentioned, to be good people, to be decent, honest, Torah, God-fearing people, to do the best we can. They're not ours. We don't have a right to do with them as we wish. They're not ours. We don't own them. They're just given to us as a deposit. Hashem, just like we say here, the sheep that were given to Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, he says, what happens if, God forbid, we make a mistake, we don't quite come through to do the best job we could. So then we learn the lesson, we count and we say, where is it the place that we can do better? And we try to improve, we try to say, what else could I do? What could I do now? What is left over now to do to increase? Because this tells us that you love them that you really care about them. To let us know that they're really precious, that we love them, and that we try to do the best we can to protect them and to make the most, most out of them. So while even Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will sometimes get angry, that's why this counting over here, Hashem doesn't count them. This is really... Moshe Rabbeinu counting them. Hashem sort of said, you left me, 
you went and worshipped other idols, you had chosen to be with this Midianite woman, the Moabite woman, so I'm not going to care about you, so to speak. But Moshe Rabbeinu, a mother, a father, they care. Other people, you know, you go to school, you ask the teacher, the principal, the teacher, the principal says, oh, your kid, he's a troublemaker. <laughs> he is. But the mother says, well, that's my child. That's right. To the, to the teacher, to the principal, he's a kid in the classroom. He's a kid in school. But to the mother, to the father, that is my child. And if something is wrong, if something is not there, they love their child. And even if there is problems, they say, but what else is left? What is there good? How could we change things around? How could we make things better? It is that continuous love. Moshe Rabbeinu over here in our case blamed himself. But earlier, by the story when the Jewish people did the golden calf, Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain. He wasn't even there. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't blame himself for the failure of the Jewish people. Over there, it was Hashem that says to count. Over there, the example is a plague. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do anything. It wasn't the wolves. It wasn't something that Moshe Rabbeinu can stop. Over there, Rashi doesn't say that it was wolves. Because wolves, you can try to stop. That Moshe Rabbeinu said that maybe I could have done something about it. But when we're talking about a plague, Moshe Rabbeinu can't do anything about it. And because the fact was that over there Moshe was on the mountain. And while Aaron and the Jewish people, they negotiated and they led him to this failure, to this mistake. But that had very little to do with Moshe. That's why over there wasn't Moshe, the shepherd that was counting. It wasn't the shepherd that expressed. But over there, it had to do with Hashem. Although, one can still argue, so why did Hashem over there care? All in all, we know that you know, the Jewish people brought along from them with them from Egypt, they brought a multitude of nations who consistently caused problems for the Jewish people, known as the Erev Rav. They were like a mixture of Egyptians in which Hashem said to Moshe, I didn't tell you to take them. Moshe on his own took them. So in a way it was Moshe Rabbeinu's fault as well, but Hashem didn't in that case uh, totally blamed them and then Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer, he interceded on behalf of the Jewish people. So after Hashem has forgiven them, 
Hashem says, okay, listen, they're my people, they're still my children, and there, over there, Rashi uses the metaphor of a plague, and he says, count them. Count them, I want to show, no matter what, even though there was destruction over there, we still count them. In a way, this terrible mishap in here in, uh, in Florida, it's almost like a plague, very similar. It doesn't seem like uh, anyone could do anything about it, although now they're blaming some of the architects, some of the reports, some of human error, and I guess we don't know yet the full story we'll find. But to us, those people, it was, they had whatever, they had no chance, you know, it was the middle of their sleep, middle of the night, and such a tragedy happened. But we still have to know that Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashem loves them, each and every one of them, they're holy, they're Kedoshim, as well as all of their family members who are mourning them, who are uh, distraught, who don't know yet their faith, and we're all in solidarity together with all these families that are in this turmoil and this uh, very difficult position to be in, not knowing even to mourn or having any physical remains to be able to mourn properly, don't know and hoping beyond hope and as days go on it gets even more dire and uh, so we have to remember that notwithstanding the uh, destruction the Magefa, this almost senseless death of so many innocent lives. We still have to remember that Hashem loves, we don't know the ways of Hashem, we don't understand the ways of Hashem, but we have to know that the love of Hashem, when there's even one Jew missing, and many Jews, or human beings for that, all human beings that are missing and lacking, and such a terrible accident, uh, to know that Hashem loves and is dear to us, which also brings to the other, we know starting on Sunday, we started the three weeks, we had the fast of Shavos or the Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz, which goes for three weeks till Tishabov, the 9th of Av. And these are all days in which we mourn the destruction, the destruction also of a building, like the destruction of all these homes, you know, every Jewish home, every home is a dwelling place for Hashem. In Jewish home, there were many uh, homes with mezuzahs, with Torah, with Yiddishkeit, with love, with Shabbos, with Yantev, with uh, uh, so much precious souls that were lost over there. Those was also a destruction like 
the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash that we are mourning now. And the Rebbe always made a point to say that the purpose of mourning the destruction of the Temple and the purpose of all these customs and traditions that we follow during the three weeks and then it gets more serious in the nine days and then it gets even more serious as the week of Tisha B'Av are not there to cause us to become depressed and despondent and become uh, immobile, but on the contrary, they are reminders for us to improve and to strengthen our yearning and our belief that this destruction is merely a temporary, it is only a short time before the Beis HaMikdash will be rebuilt and all those that have passed on will be resurrected and will have the coming of Mashiach and Chis HaMesim and all the wonderful things that are going to take place with that, with the coming of Mashiach. So the Rebbe encouraged and he said that during the three weeks we should study and learn and talk about the building of the Beis HaMikdash. We shouldn't mourn and become despondent, but learn and increase your amuna, your betochen, your trust, and your hope that Mashiach will come. So sometimes from the days of tragedies, we actually need to take inspiration and trust and to learn and to improve ourselves to be able to be worthy of the blessings of Hashem especially that of the building of the Beis Hamikdash. so while we are mourning the Magefa this terrible terrible tragedy but we have to remember that we are dear we have to do mitzvahs in, in the memory and for the health and for mitzvah miracles because miracles do happen and miracles have happened and they mitzvah will happen but in either case to be able to hold on strong and draw strength and trust that very soon Hashem will take us out of this bitter kolos and out of this, all of these tragedies and bring us Mashiach Tzidkenu Amen. 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 So, Amen. Okay, let's do now also, so this is part, we'll do a little bit of the other Sicha. This is a small part, you know, of that Sicha in the first Chedek. This is, this goes on to uh, the second Sikha of Pinchas. This is on a different subject, totally. We know that the portion of Pinchas has a listing of all of the holidays. If you read in today's portion, well, it talks about all the Korbanot. Now we know we have several many days of the year, that we have festivals. Okay, we start, we have Korbanot that we bring every day. 
we have additional korbanot that we bring on Shabbos. We have additional sacrifices that we bring on Yom Tov. And then we have Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, Yom Tovs. We have additional korbanot that we bring on Rosh Hashanah. We have additional korbanot we bring on Yom Kippurim. All of these holidays and all of these korbanot are listed over here. Hashem gives the instruction to Moshe and he tells him instruct the Jewish people what kind of korbanot they should bring for me during each period that we bring the korbanot. <coughs> so he brings all the korbanot that Hashem that he tells them about all the korbanot. Then there's a very interesting verse after it's all over. You see, it starts with verse Bet. It goes on and on and on and on. Then this is the next chapter. And the next chapter starts with Vayomer Moshe Bnei Yisrael Kichol Asher Tziva Shemes Moshe. That Moshe says to the Bnei Yisrael, he told them Everything that Hashem told him, he told to the Jewish people. Seems like a strange verse. Why does the Torah have to tell us that Moshe told the Bnei Yisrael what Hashem told him to tell them? A, most of the time we don't find the verse reaffirming that Moshe Rabbeinu did what he was told. Most of the time we see in the Pasuk, Hashem says to Moshe, say to the Jewish people. And that's it. It doesn't say at the end, oh, Moshe Rabbeinu did as he was told. Why does it have to say here that Moshe Rabbeinu told what he was told? Why does it have to say it over here? And Rashi explains that there could be a mistake in this parsha, and we need this verse over here. Because in the next verse, this verse could maybe say it either applies on the past, could go on the future. So Rashi has to explain where it goes, or as Rashi says that maybe Moshe Rabbeinu did not uh, share with them what Hashem has told them. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu had not shared with them what Moshe Rabbeinu was told. Why would Moshe Rabbeinu not share with the Bnei Yisrael that which he was told? Um,
Okay. Um, I mean, something like that Moshe was going to die, maybe he didn't want to upset the people, or that yeah, well, there was okay. going to be a flight. Maybe there's a time and a place to say things. Um. Elazar was the grandson of Pinchas, but I mean Pinchas was the grandson of Aaron. Yeah. But was he was he the son of Elazar, or yes, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Oh, okay. Um, the Rebbe explains that. These korbanot over here were, who did the korbanot? These korbanot were done by the Kohanim. This portion, when it talks about, says, speak to the sons of Israel. Daber el bnei, tzabes bnei Yisrael. Now, why would the Bnei Yisrael need to know the specific laws. Maybe the Bnei Yisrael need to have the general idea that there needs to be the Korbanot. But who says that they have to have the very specific details of all the Korbanot? And that's why over here, the Pasuk needs to say, It goes on a little bit uh, more, a little bit detailed over here, but the point what I want to bring out from the lesson over here, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times, we know things, and... We learned either we have from life's experience or we've heard from other people and we know the correct things of what to do. It's important to realize that everything, that everything that we know, that we have a responsibility to transmit and to give over can't be satisfied by sharing and giving over just a little bit if we have more to give over then it's our responsibility you know, there is 
I see all the time, myself even, people out there are looking up to learn and to find out, and they appreciate very much when you share with them words of Torah, you share with them words of wisdom, you share with them a warm and an inspiring word, and a lot of times we don't even realize how much people are looking forward for us to give them from our life's experience. I had an occasion, just in a shul one time, I was, was telling the people a little bit that when I was growing up, uh, we used to stand by the Rebbe's Fabrengen, and we would say L'chaim to the Rebbe. Uh, everybody would raise their cup, and we would raise our cup and we'd say L'chaim. L'chaim means to life. To life, it's a blessing. To life for us, to life for our families, to love, life for our loved ones. And the Rebbe would respond with L'chaim v'levrocha, to life and for blessing. <coughs> and the people would stand in 770 by the Fabrengen, that is the gathering, and they would raise their cups and try to get the Rebbe's attention. And they say to the Rebbe L'chaim, and the Rebbe said L'chaim v'levrocha. The Rebbe would go around like looking all around the room to each and every one and shaking his head to this one, to that one. Chaim, Chaim, Rebbe would give out the blessings to everyone. And I was telling them how people would like to get the Rebbe's attention. And I was going on describing a little bit. Sometimes Rebbe would tell somebody like this because they would use a little schnapps cup to say Chaim. They put a little wine. And the Rebbe would show, fill up a full cup, you know, like almost a full cup of blessing, you know. But as I was talking and I'm telling and the people were so interested in listening to this, I realized that certain things that I experienced when I was growing up, I don't even pay attention that I should share that with other people. And the people were so interested and wanted to hear and wanted to know how things are. Each and every one of us has a lot of life experience. We have certain things we should take and make sure to share with our children, with our friends, from the good, the positive, the great experience of our life. Don't only, you know, give them a little bit and teach them what they have to do right then, but sit down and give them over. Do as the post-success says, Moshe Rabbeinu did not just give them over a general idea about the specific instruction. He gave over everything with all the details. Give over everything. Inspire them. Give them. Everybody wants to hear from the past and wants to be able to learn and reach greater heights and greater goals for the future. So with that lesson, we'll leave it today's shir, today's class.